The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks set to kick off a new month and a new quarter after the S&P 500 notches its worst three months in a year. However, futures are higher. Those gains coming after a deal to avoid a government shutdown, but the last-minute agreement creating some new rifts within the halls of Congress. We are live in Washington with the very latest. Also, oil coming off its best quarter in more than a year. We lay out the key factors facing crude now in the fourth quarter. Plus, Tesla rolling out a revamped version of one of its most popular models in China as the EV maker looks to fend off growing competition there. And let's make a deal. Billionaire investor Bill Ackman making fresh comments on the possibility of teaming up with Elon Musk and the X platform. It is Monday, October the 2nd. 2023, you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. I hope you had a great weekend. Let's get you ready to start this week. We're going to kick off the hour, as always, with a check on U.S. stock futures on the back of that government funding deal. Much more on that in a moment. Take a look at futures right now. You can see they're in the green across the board. The Dow looking like it'll open up more than 100 points higher. The S&P more than a half a percent higher right now. The Nasdaq more than three quarters of a percent higher. But as always, we say it's early. Stocks are coming off a tough September and a really tough third quarter. The major indices losing between two and a half percent and four percent with the S&P notching its worst quarterly performance in a year. You see the Dow down two and a half percent as well. We're also checking the bond market right now. As always, begin with the benchmark 10 year. Taking a look at those yields. Still moving higher right now, 4.62 percent, well above that 4.5 mark that a lot of technical analysts said was very important about the direction of bond yields. Also, take a look at the two-year note at 5.10, again, back above 5 percent, something we continue to watch. We're also looking at energy, specifically WTI and Brent, both of them seeing their best quarter since Q1 of last year. Take a look, seeing WTI still above 90 bucks a barrel, up almost a half a percent right now at 91.20. Brent crude, that's the international benchmark, basically at 92.60, just ticking down a penny, as I said it, up almost a half a percent. Similar story for natural gas, up over a half a percent. We're going to have much more on the price action around crude coming up shortly here on the show. All right, that's your market check now. We want to turn to Washington. Congress taking it down right to the wire, sending a government funding bill to President Biden late Saturday, just before the midnight deadline to do so. But the agreement only providing some temporary relief as divisions among House Republicans only intensify. NBC's Drew Petramu joins us now with the very latest from D.C. Drew, good morning. Well, good morning, Frank. Now, it is important to remember that this is only a temporary plan and we could be right back in the same place in 45 days. But for now, crisis averted. The motion to reconsider is laid on the table. As the hours ticked down and a government shutdown seemed inevitable, a surprising twist shocked Washington. Bipartisanship. The bill is passed. More than 1,300,000 of our troops will continue to get paid and their families will be cared for. 
tens of thousands, tens of thousands of air traffic controllers and transportation security officers are going to stay in the job, get paid, preventing unnecessary delays at airports all across America. To secure the deal, Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy used a coalition of his party and Democrats to pass a short-term funding plan. It keeps the government running through November 17th, giving time for Congress to hash out full-year spending deals. I'm very proud of him for doing it. It averted a shutdown. Uh, everybody was predicting a, a certain shutdown, and we avoided it. And we avoided it because he had the courage to put a bipartisan bill on the floor that actually got more Democrats than Republican votes. The deal secures additional funding for disaster relief. It strips away deep spending cuts and money for border security sought by hardline Republicans. It does not include additional funding for Ukraine. Democrats want it included. I do intend to file a motion to vacate against Speaker McCarthy this week. Infuriated by the spending deal, Republican hardliners promising a push to remove McCarthy from his post. So be it. Bring it on. Let's get over with it and let's start governing. It sets up a GOP power struggle reminiscent of the 15-round saga that led to McCarthy first winning the Speaker's gavel earlier this year. Now, while aid for Ukraine wasn't included in this spending plan, President Biden says he's received assurances from Speaker McCarthy that he would support more help for Ukraine in a separate vote. For his part, McCarthy saying any new funding for Ukraine would be tied to increased border security measures at home. In Washington, I'm Drew Petromo, NBC News. Frank? All right, Drew, thank you very much for that latest from D.C. Turn our attention now back to the markets. It was a dismal quarter for stocks with the S&P 500 down just over 3.5%. The index is still firmly in the green for the year, however, up more than 11.5%. But take a look at this chart. The S&P Equal Weight Index is up just one quarter of 1% this year. This indicates just a handful of stocks, mostly the mega cap tech names, are providing nearly all the market gains. Let's talk much more about this and what could lie ahead in the fourth quarter. We got Bill Stone, the chief investment officer at the Glenview Trust Company, here with us on this Monday morning, first day of the quarter. Bill, good morning. Thanks for being here. Good morning. All right, let's talk about this. We, ju we just talked about the S&P equal weight up only a quarter of a percent. I'm looking at the Magnificent Seven right now, uh, up over 80 percent year to date. So my question to you, is this sustainable? Can this keep going, and what does this mean about the direction of the markets? So um, I would say looking at history, it, you know, some people would worry that you, know, you have a situation where those Magnificent Seven, you know, frankly, fall apart, and then that really crushes the overall indexes. That is not always the way it happens. Sometimes the market broadens out. There's really no clear sign of that. Um, I guess I'm optimistic that we might get some broadening out, I think, you know, maybe this third quarter reporting season that really kicks off in earnest uh, ne end of next week might give us that because you're finally going to snap, I believe, the streak of three straight quarters of year over year declines in earnings. I think you're going to have positive earnings driven a lot by some of those magnificent seven, frankly, but hopefully we'll see some better numbers out of some other sectors as well. All right, I just want to be clear. That means that you're, you're not at all concerned about the narrowness of this market. You believe this rally can continue with just seven or maybe a dozen stocks continuing to push the markets higher? No, I mean, I think it has to broaden out to keep it going. Um, I'm a believer in AI and a lot of this technology, but I would say we've kind of trimmed some of them on the margin Got just it. because they've gotten expensive. I, I think you have to look for a broadening out. I think that's exactly uh, what you have to hope for here. All right. So you're touching on the earnings season that begins just next week. So according to FactSet, we're on pace for a fourth straight quarter of earnings decline, something you just referenced right now. Uh, earnings for Q3 forecast to be down 0.1 percent. 
Um, what does that mean for the market? If we come in line or we don't even reach that, what does that mean for the market? I know you said you are optimistic, but, you know, the forecast is the forecast. It is. I, you know, I think typically, as you know, uh, you, you can usually bet on us coming in somewhat above it. Doesn't always happen, obviously. But um, certainly we need some better earnings because I think what I would argue has been pressuring the market and why we're off the highs overall is really the rise in interest rates. You know, I always I like the, the Buffett quote that, you know, interest rates are like gravity uh, for stocks. So we've really seen a sharp rise, particularly in the I call it after inflation expectations. So real interest rates, which is is, I'll argue, the more potent of the two. So, you know, those interest rates are really, you know, a good competitor at the moment uh, to stocks. So you right. need the earning side to, to lift you there. And I think um, you know, that's what you've got to look for. All right. I also know you're looking at tips. We're showing the audience the tips right now. Uh, those are Treasury inflation protected securities right now. Bill Stone, always great to see you. Thank you very much for the time and for the insight. Thank you. All right. Time now to get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. We have our Silvana now here with those. Silvana, happy Monday morning. Happy Monday to you, Frank. All right, let's get you some headlines. All right, Frank, well, talks between the United Auto Workers and big three automakers continuing over the weekend following the expansion of targeted strikes. Now, UAW President Sean Fain telling members on Saturday not to let messaging from Ford, GM, and Stellantis get them to give up their, quote, fight for justice. Fain making the comments while meeting with workers outside a Stellantis plant in Ohio, adding the automakers are trying to cause doubt between UAW membership and the leadership. The comments coming after critical remarks by Ford and GM CEOs over talks with the union. The chairman of China Evergrande is reportedly being investigated on suspicion of transferring assets offshore while the indebted property developer struggles to complete unfinished projects. Now, this, according to The Wall Street Journal, the development comes after the embattled property developer revealed late last week that he was under police watch and was suspected of committing unspecified crimes. And Tesla rolling out an updated version of its Model Y in China. The car features minor changes to the exterior and interior, including a new wheel design. The starting price for the updated Model Y will remain at just over $36,000, Frank. Yeah, that price war continues over there in China. It, it really does. Yeah. Uh, Tesla shares up over a half a percent right now. Silvana, we'll see you later in the show. See you later, Frank. All right. A lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, including that one word that investors have to know today. Plus, again, Capital's John Kilduff lays out the bearish signals that he's seeing that's putting pressure on oil and possibly preventing it from hitting 100 bucks a barrel. And then later, the trial of FTX chief Sam Bankman-Fried set to get underway this week. What those hit hardest by the failed exchange's collapse are saying as FBF heads to court. And then later, Apple looking to offer a fix over complaints that its newest iPhone is red hot for all the wrong reasons. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What does it mean to be rich? 
Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at futures right now. We're seeing the Dow off of its highs of earlier today, looking like it'll open up about 90 points higher. Similar story for the S&P and the NASDAQ. Let's now see, let's see, now see how Europe is shaping up as its trading day gets underway. We have our Germana Brissetti in our London newsroom with much more on the early action. Germana, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Well, European markets attempted to open up in positive territory this morning, but just in the last 20 minutes or so, a lot of that optimism has started to fizzle out, namely because of some weak, persistently weak PMI manufacturing numbers. We got the final PMI manufacturing numbers for the month of September coming in line with the flash at 43.4. That is historically a very low level and continues to signal broad-based weakness when it comes to the manufacturing sector within Europe, France and Germany leading those declines, Spain and Italy faring somewhat less badly, but still showing that manufacturing weakness is still pretty widespread. In terms of sectors today, we're seeing a little bit of green in the mining space. Some of the likes of uh, Glencore and Tafagasta trading up in positive territory. Banks, oil and gas also putting a good showing. But on the flip side, healthcare and chemicals are leading the declines. As for Asian Pacific markets, well, it is worth noting that China, India and Hong Kong are all out for the golden week. So we're not going to get a lot of signals from there. But China activity indicator has signaled some stabilization albeit at a low base. So perhaps a sign that some of the data there is beginning to bottom out. And then finally, a quick look at the Nikkei negative handover overnight. One thing worth watching, though, is the yen. It is very close to breaking 150. And of course, the Bank of Japan announced a bond buying program for Wednesday. That's significant as well. All right, Jumana, thank you very much. Our Jumana Brissetti live in our London newsroom. All right, turn our attention now to the energy market, specifically oil prices taking a look. Both Brent and WTI are up just about under a half a percent right now, but both are also coming off a wild month and a wild quarter. WTI rising eight and a half percent during September, its fourth positive month in a row, and 28 and a half percent for the third quarter. Brent also having a banner month, up nearly 10 percent and on a four month win streak. Prices on both benchmarks also posting their best quarterly performance since Q1 of 2022. For more on the outlook for prices in Q4 and the impact on inflation, let's bring in John Kilduff, again, Capital founding partner and a CNBC contributor. John, good morning. Great to have you here. Good, <clears throat> good morning, Frank. Great to be with you. So, John, I want to take you back just, just a bit. About 10 days ago, J.P. Morgan came out with a really bullish call on oil, saying that they forecasted $150 a barrel Brent crude, but that wasn't until 2026. But clearly, they saw a big upward trend when it came to oil prices as we enter Q4, first day of the quarter. Do you see that same upward momentum? I mean, I don't really, because we continue to see more oil be discovered, be put on the market. Um, you know, the prices we're seeing right now are as a result of historic moves, really, by Saudi Arabia to constrain supply. The numbers are unbelievable how much they've cut back. And if that's what they have to do to only achieve $90 a barrel WTI crude oil, uh, you can see how they have their work cut out for them. So, um, you know, demand does keep growing. Uh, certainly, you know, I'm not talking about any kind of cratering in price anytime soon. 
Uh, but certainly, Frank, uh, you know, th these wild upside projections just have gone nowhere over the past several years. And that's because it's a dynamic market. I mean, right. you know, the, the United States production has come way back. Uh, and we're, again, seeing other uh, Basins also mature here okay, now. Let's Guyana, talk about some Brazil, of the. Let's talk others. about some of the dynamics. We're getting a little bit in the weeds, John. But I want to talk to you about some of the dynamics, some of the big players here, specifically OPEC Plus and the Saudis. Um, you just mentioned them a bit ago. Are you seeing a big change of direction, or the potential for a change of direction from them? Well, there were murmurs in the market last week that the Saudis may be uh, cooling their jets here a little bit in terms of you know, driving, trying to drive this price ever higher. They don't want the market to overheat. There is a meeting this Wednesday of OPEC ministerial ministers uh, that will potentially set a slightly different course. Uh, the point here being if, if the Saudis relent in the slightest, uh, prices will retreat uh, significantly again uh, in response to any sort of wavering on their part, because right now uh, they, are, they are positioning themselves supply-wise to, 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 to generate $100-plus crude oil, no question about it. All right, John, we've got to leave the conversation there. John Kilduff from Again Capital. It is always great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, tracking the technicals within the markets after a pretty tough quarter. The signals that Bank of America says are needed for a positive Q4. We are back here on Worldwide Exchange in just one moment. Stay with us. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The next chapter in the collapse of failed crypto exchange FTX is set to begin tomorrow. Jury selection in Sam Bankman-Fried's trial, it gets underway. Ahead of that, those hardest hit by the bankruptcy are telling their side of the story to CNBC. Our Kate Rooney joins us now with more on what they're saying as this story continues to unfold. Kate, good morning. Hi, Frank. Good morning. So we spoke with some customers who lost millions on FTX, others who lost hundreds of thousands of dollars, and asked them to share their message to Bankman-Fried ahead of his trial. Here's what they said. What's my message to Sam Bankman-Fried if I could talk to him now? I don't know if it would get through to him, but I believe the worst thing he has done is the suffering he has caused to millions of victims worldwide. I would sell Sam. I mean, it's great that at least you're saying in the media that you wanna make sure all the customers are right. I guess do the right thing then. I mean, serve your time, pay your penalties, and do the best you can for your users. My biggest advice to him is figure out what you can do to help all those people who lost their life savings in FTX. I don't know how you're gonna do it or what you're gonna do, get it done. If I had a chance to confront Sam face to face, I would just honestly be curious to know like what he was actually trying to do. Like, were you trying to do good or were you just a, you know, really bad person and promoted yourself really well in order to swindle a bunch of people. Like, just give me an honest answer. Our documentary, The Collapse of FTX Insiders Tell All, focuses on what customers went through during the collapse of FTX. They shared why they moved their funds to the exchange, why they felt like it was a safe place to put their crypto, and some of the ways that they're trying to get at least some of their money back from this fiasco. More from those customers you heard from on CNBC.com. You can scan the QR code. 
Check it out right now, Frank. Back over to you. You know, Kate, just such a, a sad story for so many people. Uh, I want to ask you, who else will we hear from in this documentary and what kind of insights will we get about this still developing case? So more from those customers you heard from who really were, were hit hardest by this. But there's other people involved. You've got some of the institutional investors, Anthony Scaramucci, for example, kind of speaks on behalf of some of the Silicon Valley Wall Street types who, who invested in Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX. Scaramucci had some fascinating comments on sort of Sam and Sam Bankman-Fried's state of mind, really. He went down to the Bahamas right after the collapse. And then you've got people like Brett Harrison, who's one of the top executives over there. He was the head of FTX US, was somebody who worked closely with Bankman-Fried. And he had a close inner circle. He was really one of the few people who might know you know, some of the psychology of, of Bankman-Fried's leadership and how he ran the business. Really interesting uh, insight from Brett Harrison as well. So a few different angles there and uh, some in-depth coverage of a story we've been covering. It's been almost a year, Frank. It's gone by quickly. Yeah, it's hard <laughs> so to imagine. It's, it's been almost a year. I mean, just so much has happened and we've seen just the movements in the crypto market as well. Kate Rooney, it is great to see you. Looking forward to seeing that full documentary. Our Kate Rooney live at the NASDAQ. Thanks, Frank. You too. All right, still on deck here in Worldwide Exchange, the federal government officially filing charges over that massive leak of taxpayer data involving some of the country's richest citizens. And as we had to break, CNBC is celebrating Hispanic heritage, sharing the stories of influential Hispanic business leaders with you. Here is Coca-Cola Senior Vice President Beatriz Perez. I proudly embrace my Hispanic heritage because my heritage is deeply rooted in family values, and at the same time, Hispanics boost economies through the millions of small businesses they own, innovate in science and tech, holding patents in space technology, or winning Nobel Prizes in chemistry, and play critical roles in public service, from Congress to the U.S. Supreme Court to many other areas. Hispanic Americans are and will continue to be a driving force for progress. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's just a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Stock's looking to shake off its worst month of the year. As we get ready to kick off Q4, we're going to read the technical tea leaves. As some say, the market is at a very critical juncture. Plus, futures are higher this morning after Congress pulls off a funding deal just hours before the deadline. We're live in Washington with the new battles that are now taping, taking shape. And X, apparently marking the spot for billionaire investor Bill Ackman, reportedly eyeing some sort of a deal with Elon Musk and the social platform. It is Monday, October the 2nd, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. I hope you had a great weekend. Let's get you ready to start Q4. As always, we're going to pick up a half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. As we mentioned, they are in the green across the board. However, off of their highs of earlier this morning, the Dow was up over 100 points earlier, now just up over 50 points. The S&P and the Nasdaq, as we said, also in the green, but it is early. We've also seen a, already seen a lot of movement when it comes to the Dow. Stocks looking to shake off a very tough September and a third quarter. The major indices losing between 25 and 4% over the last three months, with the S&P notching its worst quarterly performance in a year. You can see right now it's down over 3.5%. All right, that is your Monday setup. And as we start a new month and a new quarter of trading, we are taking a closer look at the charts where we may be seeing a technical inflection point. Let's find out if that's a good thing for your money 
We're going to bring in Stephen Suttmeyer, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Global Research Chief Equity Technical Strategist. Stephen, good morning. It is great to have you here working the charts for us today. So you gave us some of your research. First, I want to start off with something. We're going to put up a chart right now, the S&P 500 chart. It broke below a key area of support at around 4330 last week. What are the charts telling you? What do you see in this charts about the direction of the market going forward? Sure, Frank. So when you, when you look at a market breaking the key support, which was right around 4325, 4335, what it tells us is that prior support becomes a resistance going right. forward. So today we could, I don't know, if we have a good rally or in, or in the day, we could test it. But I think we're going to struggle with that level. Start of October. October can be a volatile month. So what I think happens is we stall around that level and perhaps trend down towards the 4200. Why is 4200 important? Well, think about this. It's a rising 200-day moving average. It's a 50% retracement of the rally from March into, into uh, July. And it's also where we broke out from in June. So I think that's very important. I mean, if things get really volatile, and sometimes October is known for that volatility, maybe you need to see a 61.8 retracement, and that would get you towards 4100. But for now, we're thinking 4200 should be a reasonable area to start thinking about, you know what, maybe we can find some support here. And as long as we're above that, I think the equity market could be fine for Q4. So just to be clear, today's 200-day moving average is now the area of support for the market where previously it was up here at 43, about 4330, 4325 or so. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So we broke out above last August high and then retested it and broke below it. So yes. So here on the show, uh, I know you watch, yep. <laughs> we've seen a lot of seasonal weakness, and we've talked about a lot of seasonal weakness, a, kind of a September slide for equities. You're actually looking at the 40-day moving average. We don't talk about this very often. What's that telling you, and, and why is that meaningful? Okay, well, yeah, the next chart's actually, it's actually the 40-week moving average and the 200-week moving average. And it's important because we look at cyclical and secular trend. So cyclical trend is defined by the 40-week moving average, which is rising, as you can see on this chart here. And then you got the 200-week moving average, which is your secular trend measurement. So we believe we're actually in a cyclical bull, secular bull. So what we like about what's going on in the market here is we had a correction in a secular bull market. And we moved back above the 40-week moving average. This reminds us of past periods. COVID, China trade war in 2019. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. You know, then you got... Uh, you know, this correction 15, remember this, Brexit, Trump getting elected. Looks very similar what's going on here. And finally, Eurozone crisis, two tests of the 40-week. So right here, right now, if we do that and we do it successfully, guess what? Rally here, rally here. This rally wasn't as strong. This rally is pretty good. Perhaps we could go to new highs if this pattern stays in place. Okay. But, so, but we're doing this off uh, historical precedent. Right. One key difference is interest rates, of course. Of course, yes. So I guess the real question is, when are people going to feel comfortable enough to say, you know what, I want to invest in stocks and not just continue earning 5 to 6% on cash? That's the big question. If that turns, then I think that happens. So a bit of a different scenario, but technical show potential for a bullish trend to the upside for Q4. I do think that's the case, yes, because when you follow seasonality patterns, especially when you're up year to date through Q3, you tend to have a strong okay. Q4, yes. All right, so we want to go to your next chart right now. So according to your, your research, one thing that we need for an October rally is capitulation. Right. So give us a sense. This is a, a, the VIX relative to the VIX. Give us a sense of what capitulation in this instance looks like. Sure. I think what's, what's setting up here is this. Last week, you know, people thought maybe we had a climactic low. But we did not get to an oversold reading on the three-month VIX relative to the VIX, which would mean 
that the VIX gets higher than the three-month VIX. Investors more fearful now versus three months down the road. That would move that below one. That's your capitulation signal that we need. Uh, we did get one last October. No, yeah, right in here. I think that's where it was. We had okay. a close signal in March. And um, I think right here, right now, similar to the S&P 500, the three-month VIX versus the VIX has a resistance around 1.08 to 1.1. So as long as we're below there, I think the, the risk is, or the potential, is that we get this capitulation signal where the VIX gets above the three-month VIX, moving this ratio, three-month VIX versus the VIX below one. And that would be your tactical climactic signal. And it happened last October as well. And guess what? I mean, it triggered a good seasonal year-end rally. Right. And I think either way, we're probably set up for that. But I'm more confident in those situations when you actually get people you know, saying, hey, I'm done with this. Let, let's move on to something else. And then they miss the rally. I mean, that's what happens often, right? Okay. You know, and then people play catch-up. Very interesting stuff there. Stephen, it is great to have you here. Looking at the technicals as we start Q4, I have a feeling we're going to have to bring you back in yep. to see the next level of trends that are out there in the market. Right. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Frank. We appreciate it. Great job. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is back with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning. Approximately 4,000 United Auto Workers reaching an agreement with Volvo Group's Mack trucks over the weekend to significantly increase wages and continue benefits for both employees and their families. The temporary agreement, which still needs to be ratified by the UAW, comes as thousands of auto workers enter the third week of striking against Detroit's big three automakers. Bill Ackman reportedly showing interest in an investment deal with Elon Musk's X-Corp aimed at private companies looking to raise $1.5 billion or more and potentially taking them public. The Wall Street Journal says the investment is a new class of special purpose acquisition companies, or SPACs, pitched by Ackman two years ago with approval from the SEC coming on Friday. Ackman will likely have more on this coming up at 8 a.m. Eastern on Squawk Box. Be sure to watch that. And Apple announcing plans to issue a software update to address customer complaints of the new iPhone 15 models getting too hot. The company citing bugs in apps and the iOS 17 itself as the reasons for the issue and that it's normal for devices to you know, feel warm when being used for lengthy amounts of time. Apple adding the software update will not reduce the performance of the new models, Frank. I don't have that problem. I didn't get the new one, so. Yeah, I haven't upgraded yet either, so it's a reason for me to save a couple bucks for now. Yeah, I'll exactly. just wait. I'll just I'll wait. I'm Maybe I'll wait. wait for 16, Savannah. Same. We'll same. see. All right, Savannah now. Thank you very much. Sure thing. All right, now we want to turn our attention to D.C. and the drama in the nation's capital. Congress taking the risk of a potential government shutdown right to the edge, getting a deal done and sending it to President Biden just before the midnight, the midnight deadline on Saturday. But the agreement only kicking the can down the road slightly as Republicans in the House, they find internal tensions just boiling over. Our Emily Wilkins joins us now with the very latest on what's going on in D.C. Emily, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Well, as you mentioned, Congress just narrowly averted a shutdown over the weekend after House Speaker Kevin McCarthy ditched his strategy of trying to appease hardliners in his own party and worked with Democrats to pass a stopgap bill to fund the government until November 17th. But now McCarthy is going to have to fight for his speakership. Congressman Matt Gates said that he will start a process to remove McCarthy from his leadership position, but... Whether it's successful or not is likely going to depend on whether Democrats decide to back McCarthy. 
If they don't, the House could go into a complete standstill while members decide who the next speaker will be. We'll be right back where we were in January of this year. And that's not good for a lot of lawmakers. Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick, a Republican from Pennsylvania, told NBC over the weekend that spending time fighting over whether McCarthy should be speaker takes lawmakers' attention away from bigger issues. It's going to grind uh, operations here to a halt, and we have a lot of threats. China, Russia, uh, Iran, we have internal um, challenges here in the United States with our border, with inflation, with crime. That's what we should be focusing on, not this. Congress this week is expected to continue moving ahead with bills that will fund the government in the long term. The House and Senate Democrats are also prepared to make an additional push for aid to Ukraine. Now, that was not included in the stopgap measure over the weekend. But McCarthy has said that any aid to Ukraine has to be paired with policy changes at the southern border to limit immigration. You know, Frank, Congress has cleared this initial hurdle. They've averted a shutdown, but they still have a long way to go at this point before the government is really funded for next year. And this right. sort of kicking the can down the road is no longer uh, something they're doing. All right, Emily, I got a couple questions for you. First, any potential market implications to this drama around Speaker McCarthy and the next funding fight? And then also... What is the future for the House Speaker? We have a short-term deal about the shutdown. What about his long-term future as the leader of his party? I think those are both really great questions, Frank. I mean, starting with the markets, you definitely saw Moody's come out and say, hey, if there is a shutdown, that's going to negatively impact the U.S.'s credit rating. Obviously, shutdown is averted for now, but with Moody's and, and even a little bit with um, Fitch's rating drop earlier this year, one thing they cited was just kind of this general sense of dysfunction, the sort of not knowing how things are going to go, walking right up to deadlines, waiting until the last minute. So I think there is probably still some concern about there, like, okay, we clearly this hurdle, but now we've got another one coming up in less than 50 days. And for McCarthy, it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. There's a lot of questions as to whether the House could go back to that rules package that was passed early in the year, make some changes so things are just a little bit less chaotic when it comes to the House floor. Um, and of course, there are just a lot of questions about McCarthy in general. On one hand, he's really being applauded from both sides for being able to avert a government shutdown. But on the other hand, there's just this real strong opposition to him working with Democrats to get that done. All right, a lot of questions going forward. Our Emily Wilkins live in D.C. Emily, always great to see you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, what a massive IRS data leak of returns from some of the nation's wealthiest people means for the safety of your tax info. The latest on that high-profile case when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your morning call sheet. We begin with Piper Sandler raising its rating and price target on Datadog, moving it to overweight and 115 per share. It says easing cloud headwinds and opportunities around security and AI could be big benefits for Datadog. Those shares you can see right now up more than 3% in the pre-market. And Mizuho downgrading its rating and price target on Toast to neutral and $16 per share. It says it sees near-term headwinds for the stock, including challenges breaking through on enterprise and the restart of student loan payments. Shares of Toast this morning down more than 2%. Time now for your global briefing. We began with the Bank of Japan announcing plans to buy extra amounts of 5- to 10-year bonds as it looks to slow down the rise in yields, which are currently sitting at their highest levels in a decade. The move coming after policymakers conducted an unscheduled operation last week as investor demand for the country's debt continues to slump. We're also looking at the EV market. Shares of Lee Autumn, they're moving higher right now in the pre-market.
The EV company posting record sales numbers for the sixth consecutive month this year due to enthusiasm over new models and increased availability of charging stations. Lee says it delivered over 36,000 vehicles in September, up more than 200 percent year over year. You can see those shares are up more than one and a half percent. And major European telecom groups are calling on the EU to push for fair contribution fees from big tech companies for using their networks to drive traffic growth. The Financial Times reporting executives of 20 groups have signed an open letter to the European Commission saying regulators need to take action in order to help secure future investments in 5G and fiber networks. Turn our attention now back to the U.S. A former IRS contractor has been charged with leaking information from the tax returns of thousands of our country's wealthiest people. That includes former President Trump. Our Robert Frank joins us now with more on the suspect and the broader impact of this leak. Robert, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Good to see you. Well, federal prosecutors charged that IRS contractor with leaking the tax returns of thousands of wealthy taxpayers. Charles Littlejohn of Washington, D.C. faces up to five years in prison after being charged with unauthorized disclosure of that tax information. Court records say he stole the returns between 2018 and 2020 while working on an IRS contract. Those returns were leaked to two news organizations. They were not named in the filing, but sources say they were ProPublica, which published a series on billionaire taxes, and the New York Times, which published information on President Trump's taxes back in 2020. Ken Griffin, the CEO of Citadel, sued the IRS after his taxes and income appeared in one of those articles. That suit is still active. Griffin saying in a statement that, quote, he continues to be frustrated by the IRS's failure to protect personal data. Now, the IRS said in a statement late Friday that, quote, any disclosure of taxpayer information is unacceptable and that it's improving its technology and data protections. But, Frank, there was a lot of discussion and controversy in the Capitol over this leak and finding the leaker. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I want to ask you, you mentioned the New York Times and ProPublica. What are they saying about all this? The New York Times uh, didn't issue any statement. ProPublica repeated what it has said all along, which that it never knew the identity of the leaker, that that leak didn't come with any kind of requirements or, you know, stated agenda, and that they felt that it was in the public interest to publish that data at the time. So they didn't even know the identity of the leaker. They probably learned just on Friday night, as we all did. All right. A developing story, certainly there. Uh, Robert Frank, always great to see you. Thank you for that great reporting. Thanks. All right. Ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today. Plus, G-Squared's Victoria Green. She's going to lay out the stocks that are high on her radar, including this, our mystery chart. It's a beaten up consumer play. We're going to explain it. That's coming up next. And if you haven't already, you should follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with President Biden doubling down on congressional Republicans to support a bill aimed at providing more aid to Ukraine, saying he's sick and tired of the political infighting that nearly led to a government shutdown over the weekend. Talks between the United Auto Workers and the big three automakers continuing over the weekend following the expansion of targeted strikes. UAW President Sean Fain telling members on Saturday to not let messaging from Ford, GM and Stellantis to get them to give up what he calls their fight for justice. The Wall Street Journal is reporting the chairman of China Evergrande is reportedly being investigated on suspicion of transferring assets offshore 
while the indebted property developer struggles to complete unfinished projects. Tesla also rolling out an updated version of its Model Y in China, featuring minor changes to the exterior and interior, with the starting price holding at just over $36,000. Amazon customers reporting a number of email confirmations for purchases of gift cards, despite the fact that they never actually bought them. The company says an error in their system is what led to those false confirmations. And Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella is expected to testify today in the antitrust case against Google being brought by the Department of Justice. Nadella will be likely asked about Microsoft's efforts to expand the reach of its Edge browser and Bing search engine and the hurdles posed by Google's dominance. All right, here's what to watch in the week ahead. It's all about employment data this week with the JOLTS report on tap tomorrow and the ADP employment figures on Wednesday. We get initial jobless claims figures Thursday along with earnings from Constellation Brands and Levi Strauss. Then we close out the week with the big monthly jobs report on Friday. All right, as we gear up to kick off the first trading day of the month in the quarter, let's bring in Victoria Green, G-Square Private Wealth founding partner and CIO, as well as a CNBC contributor. Vicky, it is always great to see you. Good morning. Good morning, Frank. All right, let's start it off. We, we talked about this earlier in the show, uh, the S&P equal weight only up about a quarter percent year to date. It's really the magnificent seven. We're talking NVIDIA, Google, really powering this market. Are you worried about the narrowness of this market? And do you believe we can still churn higher with just those seven or so stocks making the gains? Well, they have to. There's no way the S&P moves without those seven stocks going up further. And for now, the uptrend is still intact. So until you see it kind of violate that 4200, 4180 level, you do have some hope we can still have this year end rally. But they're going to be weighed on by the entire race. You know, the 10 year keeps its march on up. I think it's up five basis points this morning. If the 10 year gets closer to five and we get higher for longer and one more rate hike, that is a lot of headwinds for growth stocks and long duration stocks. So I'm just a little concerned about how sustainable this rally is. And I think we're going to be looking at choppy churn to the end of the year. So wait, really quick, Vicky, you're saying the Magnificent Seven has to move higher. But just a couple of weeks ago, we heard people saying the, the market has to actually broaden out to keep the rally going just because uh, of allocation limits for a lot of fund managers and things like that. But you're saying you actually need these Magnificent Seven and you're not as worried about the rest of the market? Well, sure, the other 493 need to move as well. But if you can't have the S&P 500 go up without them, I think is what I was trying to say. Okay. So you, you need your breath to widen out. You need more people trading above their 200-day, 50-day moving averages. And you want more breath for sustainability of rally. But for the S&P, which everybody tends to think of as their kind of their market indicator, for the S&P 500 to move, you need those 30%. You know, they're pretty cap-weighted. And okay. so I don't think that they can rally without them, you know? All right. So with all this in mind, Vicky, uh, what is your WEX word of the day? It's cliffhangers. And I don't just mean about uh, talking about the, the standoff we saw in Congress. It's my absolute favorite Price is Right game. And that is what I feel like the market is in right now, especially the Fed. Cliffhangers with that little mountain climber game. You remember it with a guy trying not to fall off the edge. They want to get as high as possible without pushing it over the edge. And I just don't see how the, the, the Fed avoids kind of this cliffhanger problem of how high do you go without going too far. So I think it's my theme for the fourth quarter. How far can we get up this mountain without coming off? All right, so really interesting. So you're saying it's a bit of a cliffhanger, but right now I'm looking at the CME FedWatch tool, more than a 70% chance of no rate hike. So in addition to a broadening out of the rally, the Magnificent Seven performing well, do you believe that we need at least one more pause to keep this rally going for the next month? 
Yeah, and as right now, you said 30%, they'll go in November. I think those odds will change a little bit this week. And also with the, the relief of no government shutdown, data will flow out on time. We may see those odds uh, kind of jump up a little bit. I think the concern about sticky inflation, even with the, the prints last week, pushes the Fed to one more hike this year. Because why not? The market hasn't broken yet. You haven't seen these things. So it gives them more wiggle room if they go one more. So I do see a tighter Fed, and I don't necessarily see a pause this year. I see the pause coming next year. All right, so we're kicking off Q4. Obviously, you have a pick for us. Our mystery chart today is part of the beaten down consumer staple sector that's really underperformed. It is Pepsi. Why is now the right time to buy Pepsi? Pepsi is a quality company, and it's not just about beverages. It's more the snack story. And I know I've been all over snacks this last quarter, but it is a very huge growth market for them. They missed out on the hostess acquisition. I think they're still going to look for another kind of baked goods to buy because that's one of the segments of the snack market they don't have exposure to. It's a quality company. It's got a 3% dividend yield. It's down pretty strongly last quarter, and they're just known for conservative guidance. They had a beaten raise, and I can see them potentially having another beaten raise here coming out of the third quarter. And I like their diversification of not just beverages, but also into the snack level. And I know everybody's a little worried about Gatorade, right? right? You've got Prime coming, Body Armor, all of these other things. I still see Gatorade as the absolute prime sports beverage. They've moved into Gatorade Light, kind of the okay. Pedialyte-esque market. So it's a great stock. I want to ask you about your other picks. One of them is Costco, similar to Consumer Staples, but the other one's Marathon Petroleum. We've been talking a lot on the show about energy's big rise over the quarter. Do you see that continuing? And why invest in Marathon Petroleum right now? I see refiners in a great place. Their crack spreads should continue to widen as we've seen prices stabilize. And they actually are going to have to run at higher rates than they typically do in the fall. They typically go down a little bit and have a little less uh, less runtime because they're doing maintenance. But the demand, the physical demand for crude and for, for diesel and petroleum refined products is extremely high right now. Physical market's extremely tough. So I see them being able to generate more and more cash flow. And their debt and their balance sheet is minimal. They've got less than a, a billion dollars, I think, coming due in 2024. So all of that cash flow is coming back to investors. It's not necessarily having to be driven into debt repayments or refinancing. All right, Victoria Green, it is always great to see you. Thank you for your picks. Marathon Petroleum, Pepsi, and Costco. Have a great day. All right, right. taking a quick look at futures right now, we're seeing they're in the green across the board, but well off their highs of earlier this morning. The Dow only up about 60 points right now. Earlier was up over 100 points. Also taking a look at bonds right now, as always, begin with the benchmark 10-year. Seeing that at 4.62, still elevated the two-year, back above 5%. One quick look at oil. We were just talking about it just a minute ago. WTI, the U.S. benchmark, moving higher from earlier this morning, up three-quarters of a percent. Similar story for Brent crude, natural gas easing. Just a bit up under a quarter of a percent. We're going to leave it there. We've got Squawk Box coming up next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 